the hope of light, guiding the pilgrim through the night, over the mountain till the break of dawn. And into the light of perfect day, it will give out a lovely ray. Beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine on. Oh, beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine upon us until the glory dawn. Oh, give us thy light to light the way into the land of perfect day. Beautiful star of Bethlehem, shine on. Oh, beautiful star of rest, for the Father, we come unto you at this time and we approach you. We thank you for giving us another opportunity, another day to come and to devote this time in worship and praise unto you. And we pray that all that we do will be pleasing unto you. We ask you to be with us as we go throughout the remaining of our time together and that we'll be attentive and that we'll take heed and be receptive to the things that are going to be presented to us and may we be challenged by them and may we use them to enhance not only our growth but may we also use them in some way in which to be able to help others as well. We thank you for all that are present here this day. We ask you to be with and to watch over those who are not with us for whatever the reason may be, especially those that are struggling with health at this time. And we just pray that you will strengthen them as they recover and that you'll be with those that are administering care to them and that they'll know what it is that they need to do. 
We ask you to be with those that are struggling spiritually, and we just pray that they will be strengthened, and may we be able to strengthen them in some way as well. And it is for these things that we ask, and in Christ's name, amen. Christ above me, Christ beside me, Christ within me.
I will be reading Luke chapter 2, verse 52. Luke 2, 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Good morning, everyone. Terrific to see you. Hope you had a fabulous week. Most of you spent time with family. Maybe you went to them and you've just returned, or maybe they came to you and perhaps some are still with you. And if you're visiting with us, we are certainly thankful for your presence. It's great to have a visiting song leader. So thank you for the great job you did today. And thanks to everyone who just blended your voices together for our time of worship and song to the Lord. But, you know, that's only one aspect of our worship today. We've been involved in several of those. We've been praying. We're now going to embark upon a time of meditation and study upon the Word of God. So I hope that you can focus intently upon the things that we discover in God's Word today. We'll also be partaking of the Lord's Supper very shortly and giving of our means. It's a time of rejoicing for us as Christians in lifting God up high in praise and glory. We had some good things happen this week. Stephen was telling me about the success he had had with the study with his brother-in-law, Terry House. That is Lisa's brother. He was baptized into Christ on Thursday. I believe. So we rejoice in that, don't we? Yes, we do. And it's just thrilling to hear about studies that result in the salvation of a soul, washing sins away. Look, if you are overburdened by what you're carrying in this life, you can find the remedy for that, the offloading of all of those burdens the feet of the cross. Jesus can wash those heavy sins away. And someone has rejoiced in that this week, and we rejoice with them. Also, I have this to read to you. I have been laboring for some time over what to say to this congregation that I had separated myself from far too long. Life happens to all of us, and I allowed family, friends, and illnesses to get in the way of doing the right thing. I've made peace with God, and I would like to seek the support, forgiveness, and prayers of this congregation. With your support, I sincerely seek to return as an active member once more. Pam Floyd. Pam is with us today. She actually brought this by my office Earlier this week, we discussed some things about her journey over the past year or so and what's brought her back to us. We prayed together already. But again, isn't it great news to know that someone who has struggled or been overburdened has come to the Lord? Maybe you're one of those. I hope today will give you the opportunity to make the kind of amends that you need to make, either in obedience to the gospel itself or in a a recommitting of yourself in service to the Lord as 
Pam has done today. We're going to pray uh, for them, but also for us, that our study will be profitable in those regards. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful to you for this day in particular, the last Sunday of this year, the last week of what has been a difficult year for so many, but which also is a time of reflection and a time where we just, we gather things together and we try to make better plans. I know in some ways, Lord, plan making is futile. It certainly is futile when we only have our own desires in mind. But Lord, I pray that that's not going to be the case with us, that we're making plans in accordance with your will, with the hope and determination that if you'll give us day by day, that we'll get better and better and stronger and more capable as your servants as we go along. And Lord, we just we pray that you'll help us to make what is sometimes a difficult transition between seeking our own will and truly emptying ourselves and making your will dominant in our lives. But I pray that for all of us. And especially today, I think about Terry and his obedience to the gospel. I think about Pam and her recommitment of herself to this congregation and seeking to be, uh, once again, a vital part of what we do here. I pray your richest blessings upon them as they're beginning and rebeginning their walk with you. We all face challenges, but Lord, help us to have the strength and the courage and the wherewithal to rise up in your strength to be able to overcome those challenges. I pray, Father, that you will help us today to understand the difference that can be made in our lives when we give attention to the very simplest and the most basic components of our lives, to our mentality, to our physicality, to our social interactions, and to our spiritual growth. Help us, Father, to grow in all those areas in ways that you intend for us to. And when we falter, I pray that you will convict us, identify those faults in us, and empower us to make the changes that we know we need to make. And Lord, today I just thank you for the courage that you'll give us to do just that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, of course, the scripture is just giving us a benchmark about Jesus in this text from Luke chapter 2. We find out that he is increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Now, if you will dig deep into your memory, you might remember that we had this very same text in the last sermon that I preached on a Sunday morning last year. And the title of that sermon was, What a Difference a Year Makes. It was forward-looking. So we looked at these components in the life of Jesus, his benchmarks, the very basic 
benchmarks of a life lived. And we said, you know what? Those things that Jesus is identified as having increasing in, I'm pretty sure that God has the same expectation for us. So we should be growing in those things. And by the time we finished, there was at least one person in this building who was forward looking. Me. (laughs) I'm hoping it was you too, but I can tell you for an assurance that I have prepared my heart already to seek that for the year. So through the year, I have tried to sprinkle the sermons with the notion of growing and getting better in all of these areas. And so look at us. What a difference a year has made, right? We started off at the end of the year thinking about what this year would be, and now here we are, one year later. But I'm wondering, as maybe you're starting to wonder right now, did it, did a year make a difference? This year with our family Christmas party, man, a year sure made a difference. Last year about this time, my daughter and my daughter-in-law were both pregnant. This year, I have two little grandgirls. Little granddaughters that are just so excited and full of energy. Oh, and by the way, I also have my daughter's pregnant again. So I'm anticipating another year filled with growth. (laughs) But I'm just thinking the difference between last year and this year. Anita and I have just, over the last few days, just trying to wrestle with all the changes that have taken place. And maybe you have done the same thing. You've seen children as they grow year to year. Maybe you haven't seen them all year. You saw them just the other day and undoubtedly somebody said when they saw them, my, how you have grown this year. I want so much, not just for one another, for us in our interaction, to say, hey, you know what, I've noticed you, I've seen that you have grown, and I'm so proud of you. Not that. But I want to know that God looks upon each of us having been instructed a whole year ago about some general areas in which we must be growing, having been instructed and working all year to get to this point right here, the very last day of the year, the very last Sunday of the year, in order to reflect and ask the question, did I do it? You know, I had a whole year to grow. Did I grow in these very basic ways? Uh, For instance, did I grow in terms of my mentality? Did I grow mentally? Well, it's interesting what the Scriptures will do. There's clearly an emphasis upon learning. In the book of Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10, the Scripture says that we are to increase in the knowledge of God. Now, Now, what does that say to you? That doesn't say that I kind of take what I've got already and just kind of rest on that. Or as I grew up in the church, maybe, I learned some lessons, you know, some basic lessons from the Bible. I'm full, I've got it. 
And so now all I'm going to do is just kind of maybe participate once in a while in a worship service. That is not what this text is suggesting to us. The text is suggesting that we are involved in a lifetime of increase in the knowledge of God. And I will promise you, I've learned this by my own experience, and I hear it from the voices of those who are before me, that the older we get, the more precious those Scriptures become to us. And the depth of the meaning of those Scriptures begins to eclipse the knowledge that we had as children. Those scriptures empower us for a greater life of service to God. I can't help but think that the idea of increasing involves a continued delving and digging into the Word of God. Surely that is true. Or I think about the prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed in Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. We'll just look at that introductory part. He says, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. In other words, I may have a sense of love and compassion and kindness, all those things that we throw under the umbrella of love. But those things are intensified with the development of my knowledge and a sense of justice, a sense of what is right and wrong in terms of my application to the life of other people. I become more sensitive to what they're dealing with simply because I just have a deeper sense of knowledge. My love will grow as a result of the increase of my knowledge and a sense of justice and truth in my life, my study of the Scriptures. And, of course, I'm challenged in my thinking when... I read of the buildup that I'm to add to my faith in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. I'm to add to my faith virtue, and to virtue, well, it's that word, the idea of knowledge. I'm to be growing in my sense of learning, applying more and more to the base of knowledge that I already have. But I also encouraged you a year ago to give yourself to a dedication of of learning scriptures, that remembering scriptures and planting them on your heart. In the book of Psalm 119 and verse 11, that scripture says that I have hidden your words on my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden those words. Not just that I've written them there. I kind of get the idea that when something's written, it's kind of on the surface, right? You took a piece of paper, you wrote a note down. But the idea of a thing being hidden means that it has been pressed down deeply. It's been embedded on our hearts. David said, I'm going to take that word and I'm going to take it deep into my heart. And the purpose of doing that is so that I won't sin against you. I'm creating in, in the remembrance of your word in my heart a hedge about me so that I'll not sin, so that I'll not approach sin. I see the application of that, don't you? In the life of Jesus. When that famous event of Jesus' quote-unquote temptation in the desert took place, every time he was presented with what was an incredible temptation for the Son of God, Jesus responded every single time, It is written. 
Now, here's what I'm pretty sure Jesus did not do. I'm pretty sure that when Satan came to Jesus and he tempted him, Jesus didn't say, wait, wait a minute, let me, let me get my Bible concordance out and check all the references to, say, a bread. And let me see what would be a great response to you. And then I'll develop an argument and then put it back at you. That's not how Jesus responded. Jesus didn't carry a concordance or a bunch of scrolls of Scripture out there into the desert place and wait for 40 days, having suffered through the lack of food and drink in order to then do a study with Satan. No, Jesus was already prepared. And how was He prepared? That Word of God had already been written on His heart. It was more than written, I suggest to you. It was hidden in that heart. And when the opportunity came, the Word of God just came rushing forth. Wouldn't it be great to be able to stand in a world that's filled with so much sin and misinterpretation of the Word of God, to be able to stand in that gap presenting the Word of God right out of the depths of our own hearts. It is a great process to be sure that that Word of God has been hidden on our hearts. So I would think that in our time of temptation maybe even in the contemplation of those moments that would bring temptation, that the Word of God would just automatically come forth. And we can express ourselves on God's behalf with that Word that's been there all along. But it's one thing to learn it, it's another thing to remember it, but here's what we've got to do truly. We have got to understand the Word of God. In fact, that is the urging of Solomon in Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 2. He is urging that we take that Word and embed it upon our hearts to make application, he says, to the heart. That, that's the true depth of understanding, isn't it? It isn't just technically so, I say. I know it because I know it. I've experienced it. I've been through it. Those words become alive to me from the breadth of experience that I have in applying that word. That, that is true wisdom and understanding in that truth. I love how Paul stresses the importance of making it uh, truly a part of our being. In the book of Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, he says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. As regards understanding and taking the truth and, and truly acknowledging it to the extent that it changes our lives, do you realize without actually it having been stated to you that the entire theme of this year has been contemplating that very thing? Remember our theme, seek and do. Now, understanding is that unspoken space between the seeking and the doing. I can't possibly go out and do what it is that I have sought to find until I truly understand how to apply it, how to act on it. 
it kind of gives a new sense to our text, right? Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10. Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Ezra sought out the Word of God. He acknowledged it for what it truly was. He made the impact on his own life. He sought to do the things he knew were necessary, and then he taught those very same things to others. I hope if if just in your subconscious you have come to the realization that I'm going to seek God's Word and I truly am going to do it. And whether or not you grasp the sense of your understanding or not, peace, you have understood and you have come to a fullness of truth if that Word has impacted your life for change. There's no doubt about it. All of us are expected to grow mentally. But... That's not really what we're here for today, right? We already knew that. So I'm asking you, did you grow mentally in these ways? The second thing that's mentioned in this text, maybe you think is meddling. (laughs) I don't know. Preach, you go from preaching to meddling. Stop the meddling. I'm talking about growing physically. Okay, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. That's his physical increase. We saw him growing normally. We said he grew in stature. Okay, you know, the same would be true for us. As adults especially, we have a package, a physicality about us that's important in order to sustain the spiritual things that we are talking about. So I want us to understand, first of all, that your body is not an incidental in your life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, we find out that it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 20, it says that you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Not just glorify God in your spirit. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. Ken, what are you getting at? Well, this physical body that you have, it's not, how do I put it? It's not you. You are a soul that just happens to have a body, not a body that has a soul. Your identity should not be with this physical this physical vehicle that you carry around with you. And yeah, I said that right. You carry this around with you. Your spirit is the part that's going to last forever. The physical body, one of these days, is going to get old, or it's going to get sick, or it's going to get injured, and it's going to die. And we're going to bury it, and it will decay. But your spirit, your soul, that part of you is going to live forever. But so long as I have, so long as I have this physical vehicle that I'm carrying myself around in, I really, you know, I really ought to take as good a care of it as I know how to do. So last year we were talking about looking toward this year, and of course we've come to where we are now, so we know what happened. I I was asking you then about being sure that, you know, you, you... Feed your body correctly. You know, don't, don't put a bunch of junk in it and, and shut it down or, or hurt it or inflame it in some way. 
You ought to take that body out once in a while and exercise it, you know, keep it in relatively good shape. You ought to do whatever is necessary in order to protect it so that you don't put it in unnecessary danger. That physical body that you have is important and singularly for this reason. There might be lots of other reasons, but the one I'm thinking about right now, it truly is the vehicle that you use to carry your spirit from place to place to do the things that God has called you to do. Now, we can, as in the first instance, we can talk all we want to about learning, about about putting the Word of God in our hearts, remembering the Word, memorizing Scripture. We can talk all we want to about understanding But if your physical body can't carry your spirit out to accomplish something good for the Lord on the basis of those things that you've done, then what good is it? And even if that physical body has become infirmed in some way, or physically we cannot move about as we once did, I'm telling you that we are living in an age that we can still manipulate all kinds of devices and technology for the purpose of escorting what even is a limited physicality, carrying that spirit to the uttermost parts of the earth. It can be done, but it takes willpower. I have to make the determination That's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm wondering, over the course of this past year, did you do that? Did you grow physically? Are you better physically now? On the basis of the determination you made a year ago, are you better now than you were then? We ought to be, right? So he grew in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and men. I want to reverse those so we can end on spirituality, okay? So let's talk about how that we ought to grow socially. Now when I talk about socializing, I'm talking about our interaction with other people. First of all, we were looking forward to build up the friendships that we already have. We've established friendships over the course of this past year. Our goal was to build those friendships up, to strengthen them in ways that they had never been strengthened before, to be stronger than ever. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 is a great place to start, don't you think? Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. I, I would just hang my hat on that right there. Because even if I had strained friendships, I say my friendship hasn't gone off the rails yet, but we're kind of tense right now, and so I have just read a passage of Scripture that is going to put us back in our relationship. I am going to be the one, whether they are or not, I am going to be the one to be kind. I am going to forgive. I am not going to let some petty mistake stand in the way of a flourishing relationship. So I can just envision that if it had not happened the very next day, on that Monday that followed the Sunday, probably within the week or the month, certainly 
within the course of a year, we took action to solid up our relationships. Because I'm telling you, friendships are so important. And second to that would be trying to add to those friendships. You know, build new friendships. The book of Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, says that a man who has friends must himself be friendly. And there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Let's just break that down a little bit. You say, I don't have any friends. (laughs) Okay, please don't admit that to me. (laughs) Because the first thing I'm thinking is, well, wait a minute now. If you have friends, it's because you're friendly. So I don't know. Uh, If you don't have friends, uh, what do you think? (laughs) Maybe not so friendly. So I need to work on me make myself friendly, and then I can reach out to others. And then they're going to be attracted to the friendly demeanor that you have. And then he says, that that friend that you have, there are friends in the course of a lifetime that can stick closer than someone who is your flesh and blood relative. Yes, amen, I know that is true. That is an experience that I have. Do you have that experience too? You be the friend. You embark upon the act of... He said, well, so they do. Speak to me. You speak to them. Don't even think in those negative terms. Just walk around with a smile on your face and a welcoming disposition and just watch the friends pour in. And if that's not happening, then continue to work on, on yourself, right? You become the attraction for friendship. And then... Pretty soon you will find friends galore. Why is that important, Ken? Well, it's because having an evangelistic campaign and knocking doors on strangers' houses is not necessarily the most effective means of evangelism. You know what the most effective means of evangelism is? It's friendship evangelism. It's demonstrating through your friendship your love for them the greatest source of love that you have for them. Taking it to the next level. Sharing with them the means by which their soul might be saved. And think about that. That means it's not going to just be a friendship that is physical in the sense that a lifetime of friendship, but that would result, would it not, in the salvation of a soul? A friendship that would last, oh, how about this? Forever! Forever! Let's be forever friends. You say, okay, socializing, friendships, all that's very positive, good. What about my enemies? You got those? You might. Uh, One time I was reading over the scriptures deal with loving our enemies, and I I got to thinking, who would my enemy be? I'm not really sure who they are. I can't really identify them. I'm sure there are people maybe who will hear my messages on Facebook and say things like, he's an idiot, or something like that. I don't know. And maybe they don't like me simply because of what I preach or my, my ideologies. Peace. They're mine. I derive them from the scriptures. And I thank you if you can identify those things in which I'm wrong. Because I want to be right. I want to please God. However, 
I'm thinking about enemies. If someone is outstanding in my life that's, that's my enemy, opposed to me as a human being, what is my response? Jesus said in Matthew 5, beginning verse 43, well, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Uh, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the goods, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For what credit is it? For what value is it if your enemies love you? Right? He says that even the tax collectors uh, do so, say they love you. And what credit is that to you? He says the desire is to love as your father loves, to love perfectly, verse 48. Now, what would perfect love be? Perfect love is an extension of the love for others, even when they don't love us back. That's agape love. I'm going to love you despite of the way you feel for me. I'm going to love my enemies even when the response that I get from them is negative, is hatred, is, is a disposition of dislike. They just don't want to be around me. I'm going to love you anyway. And in that disposition of love, he says, you reflect the very love of the Father. I, I'm wondering as we thought about those things last year, Maybe we identified some people that we thought were our enemies in this life. How has that process been? Did you, did you go the extra mile in order to extend yourself to them? Did you love them despite the fact that they didn't love you back in return? Did you grow socially? And then finally, I want us to think about how we grew spiritually. Did you grow spiritually? Second, uh, Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 says that we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow spiritually. Grow spiritually in every way. So, last year, I said, you know, if we're going to grow spiritually, that means we're going to pray more this year. Have you done that? Have you been praying more? We said that if we're going to grow spiritually, it means we're going to have to be in the Word more, so we're going to have to read the Scriptures more. Have you been reading the Word of God more? We said that one part of an indication of spiritual growth is our giving. So we said over the next year, we're going to give more. Did you do that? Did you purpose in your heart to give more? We said at the end of the year, as we were looking hopefully toward this year, we said we're going to resist temptation more. Satan's going to flee from us. I'm asking today, is that what you did? Did you resist temptation more? Have you grown spiritually? You know, there's a, 
there's a pretty simple description of spiritual growth in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add your faith virtue to virtue knowledge, knowledge self-control, self-control perseverance, perseverance godliness, godliness brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, there, there's the beginning, the middle, and the end of all of it. I begin at faith, and I start growing, and I start adding to my faith. And when I do that, I am securing for myself spiritually an eternal home. Not one that I hope to receive, but one that I'm able, according to this text, to receive in great abundance. Maybe this happened to you when you were at some holiday party. Maybe you had the kids along with you. Or maybe you were looking at some children, but you heard this phrase, My, how you have grown. Today we we reflect upon all we did this past year. One in which we had set some goals. We were going to grow mentally, physically, socially, and spiritually. Today, as you look back on it, what do you say? Were you successful in that? I know some parents, when the year comes around, they've got a special location in their house, usually on a door or behind a door somewhere, where they take a ruler, they put it over the top of the head of the child, they make a mark, and they measure it, how high that is. And every year that child comes and stands beside that and they mark it. And every year, if things are as they should be, there's an increase. When God has looked over the last year of your life, what has He seen? Has He seen an increase? Then all glory to God. But if not, then today is the day to rectify the situation if you need to repent of a misspent year, today's the day to do it because we don't even have a promise of another year, let alone another hour. If you're a child of God, that's critical. If you're not a child of God today, the critical matter for you is obedience to the gospel and you have disdained from that until this moment here. If you've come to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then today I pray with great courage you'll step out and you'll confess that name of Jesus. You'll repent of your sins. You'll be buried in water, have your sins washed away. You'll rise in newness of life. And then you can look forward as a babe in Christ to incredible growth for the coming year. If there's anybody who needs to respond for any reason, now's your opportunity. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand together and sing. Just as I am without
the Lord's Supper emblems, if you would, please raise your hand and the ushers will assist you in this. If you would, please be turning to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. 
as we begin to meditate on the communion, the communion being the bread which represents Christ's body and the cup which represents the blood that was shed on Calvary. Let's meditate on Christ's sinless life upon his sacrifice, being his death and his resurrection. <clears throat> First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the brutal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Let us pray. Our most gracious and loving Father, we bow in adoration of you, of you loving us enough to send your Son to die upon the cross. Father, we pray that as we partake of this bread, which represents his body, that we would do so in a manner that's pleasing to thee, that we will remember his birth, his life, his death, and resurrection. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, once again, we come before your throne just thanking thee for all the many blessings of life, for all the spiritual blessings through your son, Lord Jesus, the author of our hope. We pray, Father, that as we take this cup, we'll center our minds upon the time of the cross. We love you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We have many ways to give, and we have a contribution plate at the uh, front and at the rear of the building uh, that you can do that at any time. Uh, let us pray now for all our blessings. Father, we're so thankful for all that you give us for our health that allows us to do the things that we need to do, Father, to further your kingdom. We pray, Father, that we'll always be the stewards of what you give us. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. If you're visiting with us this morning, we are glad that you've chosen to be here today, and we invite you to come back at any time you can. We had 288 uh, in service this morning. As always, be mindful of the prayer list that's in the bulletin in the, the back of the pew in front of you. There's several on there. I'll have a few we need to add to that. Sympathy is extended to Lisa Horn in the death of her mother, Sue Dillard. Visitation will be Monday from 12 to 2 with the funeral at 2 o'clock at Gaston Baptist Church. Also, sympathy is also extended to Teresa Cole and the death of her mother, Jetty Yates. Arrangements are incomplete at this time, and I'm sure they'll be getting out to you as soon as those are available. Uh, also, some of you may remember uh, Kurt Kutrup, uh, middle, late 90s, Kurt 
taught school and coached here at Boonville, that he served as principal at Wheeler for several years in the early 2000s. He passed away last night, so be sure to keep his family uh, in your prayers. Uh, just a few announcements there on the back as a reminder to everyone. Uh, everyone going to Exposure Youth Camp is asked to meet in the Little Chapel immediately following morning worship. The second half of this fee, which is $35, it's due at this meeting. Also, uh, devotional at Landmark Nursing Home and Rehab is today at 4 o'clock. Zion's Rest is in charge of that. If you're willing to help with this ministry, see Doug Smith or Jim Estes. Also, uh, if you've noticed there in your bulletin a rather <coughs> lengthy announcement, beginning in January, uh, beginning Sunday, January the 2nd, everyone will assemble in the auditorium at 5 o'clock. We will have something new called Kids Sing, announcements and a prayer before dismissing to our Bible classes. All of the children as well as adults will benefit tremendously from kids seeing, so make your plans to be present. Also on Wednesday nights, classes will meet at 7 o'clock and at 7.45, everyone will assemble in the auditorium for a short period of announcements, singing, prayer, and a devotional. Our elders feel these changes would be of great benefit and give us a boost as we begin the new year in his service. That's all the announcements I have. If you'll bow with me, I'll dismiss us in prayer. Heavenly Father, once again, we're so thankful to come to you this morning and study your word and to worship you in song and praise. Father, we're so thankful for your church here at Boonville and its many members. Father, we ask you to continue to be with the elders and watch over them and give them the wisdom and guidance to lead your flock in a way that will be pleasing unto thee. Father, we have several of our number that's sick, that's going through treatments, that's lost loved ones. We ask you to continue to comfort them only as you can. Go with us throughout this upcoming week, Father, and help us all to carry ourselves in a Christian manner that will be pleasing unto thee. Father, forgive us for we have failed thee. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.